0: So tonight's reading's from uh, John chapter 19, verses 16 to 30, which is on page 90 of your booklets. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one each side, Jesus in the middle. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Madeline. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit.
1: Please do keep that passage open. It's on page uh, 90 in these little booklets you would have been given on the way. In. If you want to follow along as well, there's some uh, old-fashioned paper and you can use something called a pen uh, or there's a qr code to scan and that should help you follow along we're going to start with a video though so uh, over to the desk but uh, sorry to interrupt that there's a great guitar solo just about to happen so i'm sorry to cut it off uh, but that um, is a song called dexter and sinister by the band elbow am i really old here does anyone anyone actually heard of elbow yeah great anyone under the age of 20 no never mind never mind But you probably pick up uh, what it's about. Um, Elbow are great because they are very good at capturing the everyday with a sense of wonder and a sense of beauty. But this track seems very different because this is much more gritty, much more dark. The optimism of previous albums seems to have evaporated. See, the track speaks of a loss of belief. Uh, That phrase, I don't know Jesus anymore, runs throughout the song and with that it feels like the world has lost its way in the words of elbow they say these are faith-free hope-free charity-free days now i realize that gloom might not speak of anyone everyone here or everyone in our culture but it does i think capture where lots of us find ourselves in modern britain see let's be honest with ourselves for the most part we don't know Jesus anymore. It feels like faith is on the way out. And for many of us, that leaves a vacuum in which we think, what are we living for? Where does hope come from? What's my life about? Where's this world heading? Well, our passage this evening tackles all of those questions. It shows us that indeed we can know Jesus and that he gives us a transformed world which shows us where hope is found. Now, why is that? Well, we see in this passage a huge irony. We're going to see this as we go through. But uh, we see here, this evening that what looks like defeat is victory. Uh, what looks like failure is, in fact, success. And what looks like loss is gain. See, first of all, what looks like defeat is victory. See, many people in our culture today, I think... Um, reject the idea of Jesus because he just doesn't kind of fit how we expect him to work. The Bible, of course, tells us that Jesus is powerful, and yet we don't see his power visibly demonstrated. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is a king, but what sort of king? We don't see his rule or reign. But this passage shows us that Jesus is indeed a king, but not in the way we'd expect. Now, I don't know about you, but when you look at this passage, you might ask yourself the question, why is there so much on Jesus' death? I mean, if you read a biography, a death of someone is the last paragraph, perhaps, or the last moment in a film. But John seems to not get the memo on that. He seems to spend a whole, I mean, we've read two pages on Jesus' death, but actually extends uh, far beyond that. Why? Well, because John wants to show us that in Jesus' final moments, there is a huge irony going on. Jesus looks defeated, but actually we're seeing his most victorious moment. And he does that by showing us a couple of details in kind of a slow-motion replay. Uh, the first of all, um, the first one comes in this sign uh, by Pilate in that little sentence 19 on page 90. Now, Pilate's the Roman governor at the time, a little historical detail there uh, worth noting. And um, he hands Jesus over to be crucified. And it's worth saying that crucifixion was the worst punishment you could receive in the Roman Empire. It was physical agony. You'd be laid out on this horizontal beam and stretched out and hoisted up and then uh, displayed in front of everyone to die in the hot sun. And yet, even in this humiliating and painful death, it shows us that God is in the driving seat. See, have a look at that sign, um, what we're told in verse 19. Um, Because um, Pilate uh, puts this sign on the cross, it reads, Jesus, of Nazareth, King of the Jews. But um, that's not unusual to put a sign on like that, but he does something unusual with it. He does a kind of Google Translate on it. Because look at what John tells us in verse 20, many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Now that's the unusual part. Aramaic was the kind of common language of the day. Uh, Greek was the kind of trade language, a bit like English today, and Latin was the language of the Roman army. And of course, Pilate's not writing it because he believes it. He's mocking, isn't he? But as he does so, he's speaking more than he realizes. See, we have Jesus dying with this message that he is king in all the known languages declared to everyone who sees him. See, this final act of humiliation inadvertently declares that Jesus is king. But there's another slow motion detail I'll, I think you probably spotted it as it was read. There's this kind of lottery between the soldiers. Now, it was usual for soldiers to, to use everything their victim owned. It was over to them. Uh, but we're told that when they came to Jesus' tunic, there was something very unusual because it was made from one piece of fabric. And so rather than tear it, they did the rock, paper, scissors, stone. Rock, paper, scissors, stone? Whatever it is. Uh, to, 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 to kind of divide this garment. And you might think to yourself, why does John tell us that? But have a look, because he puts a little, um, he puts a reference in verse 24. They say, let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Now, notice what John's doing there. He gives us a hyperlink back to the Old Testament. See, he quotes from the Old Testament, but not just any old quote, he quotes from one of the most famous royal songs in the whole of the Bible. It's a bit like kind of God save the queen, everyone would have known it. And this, in this song, King David, their greatest king is suffering immensely. And he utters these words, that they've divided my clothes, they've cast lots for my garment." It's a massive hint in bright lights. John is saying to us, look, this is the true king. He suffers like this, but he is declared to be king. See, what seems like a complete defeat, a humiliation, is in fact a declaration of Jesus' victory. A declaration of him being king. That's worth just saying, if you're new along tonight, maybe you think to yourself, well, that's just two details. You can't rest everything on that and of course you can't um, but the whole of John has been gearing up for this very moment um, turn back with me if you wouldn't mind to um, chapter 12 uh, which is on page uh, 63 and that little sentence 12 there chapter 12 verse 12 we read this the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written, another hyperlink, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. See, again, a reference to Jesus being God's king but not the sort of king you would expect. A king would normally come in on a horse or a chariot, Jesus comes in on a donkey. A king would normally reign with power, Jesus reigns from a cross. A king would normally have a crown, Jesus is given a crown of thorns. See, God doesn't work on the same economics as us. See, he works in what? looks very different to our categories. See, going back to our elbow song, I think part of the problem we have in not believing Jesus anymore anymore, is because he doesn't fit our categories. He doesn't feel very powerful. He doesn't feel like he is the sort of king I expect. And so we conclude to ourselves, well, he can't really be true, but God works very differently. He works in the opposite way to how we expect. Strength is seen in weakness. Supremacy is seen in service. Victory is seen in defeat. See, what looks like um, failure is in fact success, is the next point. See, what looks like failure is also success. We've seen that what looks like defeat is victory. As Jesus dies, he's declared to be king. But what looks like failure, we see in the second bit, is actually success. Because at the end of the day, Jesus may be a king, but at the end of it, he dies. It looks like it's game over. The mission has failed. But actually, in these very last moments of Jesus' life, we see that the mission is, far from a failure, a complete success. Now, why is that? Well, um, just turn with me to those last moments of Jesus' life. Um, Verse 28 describes them. And just listen out for the kind of repeated idea here that comes through. Later, knowing that everything had been finished, and that so Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine and vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Do you notice the repeated idea? Finished, fulfilled, finished. And Jesus doesn't say, I'm finished, notice. He's saying, it is finished. Finished. Now, what is the it that Jesus is talking about? Well, notice what happens in between that word, those words, finish. Jesus has a drink. Now, that's probably not a surprise. He's been in the hot sun. The blood loss is unimaginable. And so, of course, he'd need a drink. But actually, there's something going on here that's far more significant than just quenching his thirst. Jesus, John tells us that he does so So that scripture would be fulfilled. See, yet again, here is another hyperlink to back to King David. See, David speaks about a time where he's suffering immensely. And this is what David says They put gold in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. But there's even more going on here because notice how this liquid gets to Jesus's lips. It tells tells us that it's on a stalk of a hyssop uh, plant. Now, hyssop at this point is a hugely unusual choice. Uh, What is it, hyssop, you you might ask it. Here's a picture of it. Um, But notice that it doesn't look like a very strong plant. It's it's not the sort of thing you would get a stick uh, for your dog to play with or, or your kids or use it as a walking stick. See, it's an unusual choice. But actually, it's hugely symbolic. It's like the English rose or the Scottish thistle. See, the hyssop acted like a holy paintbrush. It was used by the priests to make things holy. They would scatter water on objects. And most of all, uh, the most significant uh, use of this plant came at the Exodus, when God's people came out of Egypt. See, God threatened Uh, that all the firstborn would be killed except those who used a hyssop plant to paint the blood of a lamb on their doorposts and this is John's way of saying Jesus is fulfilling that pattern he is keeping us safe he is that lamb now just in case you're thinking well that is far-fetched Rob uh, notice that John tells us uh, it gives us big hints of this in chapter one he when John the Baptist sees him, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, here's the thing. It looks like a huge failure, doesn't it? Jesus is dying. Game over. But actually, that very moment in which he breathes his last breath is the biggest success this world has ever seen. See, when Jesus says it is finished, he achieves what he set out to do. See, last week we saw this verse, that just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. See, we saw, didn't we, that Jesus comes into our world to heal that divorce we have between us and our Creator. And it seems like that mission has failed, but no, when we look at it like this, we see that actually this was the moment of huge success. See, in that very last breath, we're forgiven of our sin. We're brought back to our maker. We can approach God without fear of condemnation or judgment. We can live. See, that elbow song, it gets quite chilling because they speak about our kind of fate as um, a dog for the end of days. It's a pretty harsh way of speaking about life, isn't it? And, and they go on to say that an endless sleep is awaiting me. But it's remarkably honest, isn't it? It's pretty bleak, it's probably um, not very cheery, but it's remarkably honest, isn't it? Of how it feels to be in a world where we don't believe in Jesus anymore. But of course, it misses the irony in this passage, doesn't it? That it's precisely because Jesus has died because he said, it is finished, that you and me do not face an endless sleep, that you and me might live. Jesus is king. Jesus dies as a success. But maybe you're asking yourself, what difference does this make? Well, we see in our third and final point that this loss is, in fact, gain. Because what Jesus achieves here is, in fact, Uh, it does in fact change things from that very moment. See just before Jesus dies he uh, says something to his mother and one of his disciples. Have a look at verse 26 uh, with me. It says there that when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby he said to her woman here is your son and to the disciple here is your mother and from that time on this disciple took her into his home. Now, maybe you look at that and you think, that doesn't seem immediately very significant, but what Jesus is doing there is using words of adoption. See, in the ancient world, if you said to someone, you are my daughter, or you are my son, I mean, you wouldn't just say it randomly like that, but if you said it, that would mean the adoption is real. And Jesus is saying that not to children, but to his mother and to this disciple, and it actually changed something because from that time on, the disciple takes her into his home. Now, on one level, it talks, doesn't it? It speaks of a remarkable love and compassion Jesus has for his mother and family. Even with those final breaths, the agony of crucifixion, he provides for her. But actually, it's even more than that. Because as Jesus dies, he establishes a new family, A family not based on blood ties or shared class or shared race or anything like that, but shared uh, relationship with him. See, Jesus says this in other parts of the Bible. We see this in Mark, another gospel, chapter 10. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? You will receive in this life, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, etc. See, the change Jesus brings is not just for some future day, it is now. As he says to this disciple, take Mary into your house. Now, I know the church, especially if you're looking in from the outside, I know the church has got huge problems and huge challenges. Uh, the church certainly doesn't get everything right. We don't get everything right here. But as flawed as it is, it is a remarkable thing. I remember, I, you know, I wasn't a Christian, as I say, until I was 21. And I remember um, I first went to this church in London and I remember I went there completely unknown to anyone or knowing anyone, and I was invited by a family to spend time with them, and I got to know them. And uh, they were like, I think I've said this before, they were really old. They were like almost 30, and it was incredible. I felt so grown up with them. And they would invite me to their kind of significant birthdays. I didn't know them. I wasn't tied to them. But actually, because of my shared faith in the Lord Jesus, it changed everything. And I had friends at the time, yes, um, but it's hard to believe, I know, uh, but um, they were all kind of my age and all thought pretty much the same as me. And yet, when I joined a church, I started to be friends with like elderly people, or people at crazy sort of ages. <laughs> Sorry, it's a bit rude. <laughs> but, um, and even knowing children, I didn't know a child into, um, since my youngest sister had grown up. And yet, in this church, I would, you know, mix with all sorts of generations. Now on one level you think to yourself well that just doesn't seem that impressive perhaps you've grown up in church but it is remarkable that wherever you go in the world there is this family based on their shared identity in Jesus now that elbow song it it mourns that kind of loss in our world of faith of charity of hope And, and rightly so we want a world don't we with those things we long for it But the thing is, I don't think our world has got a satisfactory way of getting those things. We say to people, well, do the right thing, but what is the right thing? And we say to people, love one another, don't hate, but what does that look like? And perhaps the events in our last month in Eastern Europe have shown us, don't they, that people have very different interpretations of what doing the right thing looks like. But here's a different reason to love. Not love because I get brownie points to and not love because I feel guilted into it that I, everyone else is telling me to do this, but love because we have been loved first. See, it's because Jesus died and was generous to you and me that we can be generous to others. Because Jesus died and gave himself for us that we can give ourselves to others because he's given us eternal life, that we can spend this life serving others. See, what looks like the loss of a son and the destruction of the family is in fact the very moment in which this new family is born, where people from all over the world, all backgrounds, ethnicities, classes, are joined together in Jesus. So what we've seen is that what looks like defeat is, in fact, victory. Jesus is declared to be king. What looks like failure is, in fact, the success. Jesus says, it is finished. And what looks like loss is, in fact, gain, as Jesus says, your son, your mother. Now, as we close, I wonder what we make of this. Do we see the defeat? Do we see the failure? Do we see the loss? Or do we see the victory, the success, and the gain. Now when I was younger, there was this kind of fad that went through called um, magic eye. I'm really showing my age now. But magic eye, um, I know no one's gonna listen to me at this point, uh, everyone's trying to work it out. There's a bonus prize for, um, I shouldn't say that. There's a satisfaction of getting it, uh, if you get it. Uh, so um, these, the idea of these magic eyes um, is that you look kind of through the picture, and then you see a 3D image of something. Now, lots of us are looking at and think, that just looks a mess. doesn't really make sense, but there will be some um, superhumans in this room who can look through the picture and see what truly is there. And I wonder, I'm going to turn it off because everyone's looking behind me. (laughs) I wonder when we come to the cross, what do we see? Do we see the chaotic mess that doesn't really make sense? Or do we see actually the true picture of victory? success, and gain. Now, maybe we're here and we want to think this all through. Maybe this is our first time we've thought about these things as an adult. That's okay. We want to help with that as a church, and we really value you you being here. But for those of us who truly see that significance, we can say that we do know Jesus, that an endless sleep doesn't await me, and that these days need not be faith-free, hope-free, and charity-free.
2: Great. Uh, take your seat uh, and as promised, uh, we have some questions uh, for Rob. Um, Thank, you. Thank you. So let's dive uh, straight in. Um, when Mary, the mother, uh, was became the, the mother of that disciple, Jesus mm. um, gave responsibility to, to him. Um, does that mean that she becomes our mother is too as disciples of Jesus. Um, there are some different views uh that people have on might Thank have on you. this.
1: You're meant to kind of ease me in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that question. Yeah, um there's a bit of kind of history to this in the church. Um so if you're familiar with particularly Roman Catholic theology, that Mary takes on a more prominent role, and um so a lot of people get quite excited about this bit. Um, I think this is a place where you should just sort of nuance that excitement a little bit, because um, we're told that, okay, Jesus declares, here is your mother. But from that time on, the disciples took her into his home. So even though she is his mother, and there's no kind of, um, yeah, and that's a significant thing, I don't want to take away from that. The fact that she goes into his home, he doesn't kind of go into her home, I think just slightly nuances the kind of This is a really, really big deal, although it's a big deal when setting up the family. Um, Having said that, uh, Mary, I don't, yeah, I maybe want to nuance that phrase mother um, in the sense that she is a a good model of belief. And so we're told in Luke that she's got humility and trusts God's word um, on the face of it. And um, so she's a good model to follow. and, of course, our church is named after her, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, it can't be bad. But um, I think just slightly mother language, I probably wouldn't want to use that.
2: Mm-hmm. Without, other
1: than, in a sense, we've become part of this big family.
2: Yeah. I guess it, it seems to be sort of quite specifically to to this disciple, Thank isn't you. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, there were other disciples standing there, but yes. it's specifically to, if it's, if it's John or who, whichever disciple it was. Yes, absolutely, him. yeah. Yeah, yeah thank you uh great another um kind of i guess bit of a clarification on um the passage so uh we see uh in verse 21 and 22 um, that uh, the jews complain about this sign uh, that you talked about that was put up above jesus um, and uh, Pilate says no keep it there um, does that uh show that actually he he's not being sarcastic he's not trying to mock jesus he's that's actually what he thinks.
1: Yeah, I mean, that could be possible. I'd say it's unlikely. Um, obviously, they're unhappy about it being up because Pilate's mocking the Jewish nation at that point. He's saying, look, look, Jewish guys, here's your king, you know, dead uh, or dying on a cross, um, you know, having a bit of a, a laugh at their expense. Um, so I think that's what he's doing. I think, yeah, you don't... You can't, John doesn't get into his inner psyche, but... In chapter 19, we didn't look at this, but in the run-up to this, Pilate has been flip-flopping over who Jesus is. And definitely, Pilate sees something in him, that at the end of the day, he doesn't stand uh, on the right side of history, as, you, as it were.
2: Mm. Okay. Um, and uh, finally, you um, uh, finished off by talking about uh, the Christian family, um, being able to be a part of uh, this kind of community of all sorts of different people. Um, how is that different from any, any other kind of families that we might uh, find in life where there is shared interest and care for one another? You, know, you think of all sorts of um, sports clubs or yeah, uh, you know, anyth- anything else that might bring people together. How is the, the Christian family different to, to yeah. those? Yeah, so the church isn't
1: the only group of people in the world, um, but I would argue it's a unique group. So a group on shared interests can have lots of fun together, uh, can build deep friendships, and I'm not taken away from that, that's a sign of God's grace. But the question is, when that shared interest gets questioned, or when that shared interest um, perhaps isn't shared so strongly, what happens to that group is often it disperses. Or what happens when people in that group of shared interests um, stuffs up? Uh, Is there an obligation to forgive one another like there is in the church? I mean, it's interesting, I don't want to get into kind of Oscars and the you know what. But um, it's interesting, isn't it? What seems like a good sort of Oscar family only took, you know, I'm not trying to make past judgment on the joke and whether it's appropriate or not, but it only took sort of a little thing on the surface to, to show that actually that shared, um, shared identity didn't run as deep as you might expect. So, um, yeah, I think the church is unique because it is so different. I mean, I, I go across the world. I, I went to Uganda and the people treated me like their own family. And that is remarkable. You, know, you travel h- thousands of miles on a plane uh, on these roads and then suddenly people embrace you like um, the, your brother or sister. It's remarkable. Um, different ages, different generations. And yeah, that's not based on, you know, because I'm particularly into football or particularly into elbow, as good as those things are, it's based on the fact that Jesus... Um, we both love Jesus, and we're in His family.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that, um, when I was working out all this kind of stuff, was kind of key for me. Was you know I was part of all, all sorts of you know scouts and mm-hmm. other groups, but I was looking at, at the church and just seeing there is something different here that I want to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. because uh, then it's not you're not gathering around um, an activity or uh, something kind of exter- external like that, you're, you're gathering around Jesus, I guess. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and it's, it's that that makes the connections you know, yeah. rather than yeah. anything human, which, yeah. which, as you say, can go wrong all the time.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Great.